We'll continue with the second part of the Sigalavada Sutta, where the Buddha explains to Sigala which kind of people one should not have anything to do with. He says, householder's son, there are these there are these four types who can be seen as foes in friendly guise. The man who is all take takes from one. The one who is a great talker the one who flatters and one who is a fellow spendthrift. Now he explains each one. The man who takes and doesn't give anything in return can be seen as a false friend for four reasons. He takes, he wants a lot for very little, and what he must do, he does out of fear, and he only seeks his own ends. Obviously, it's a person that is only interested in his or her own welfare and has no idea of really giving but can be seen or can appear to be a friend without actually having the friendship feeling for the other person. He says he attends one only for his own advantage. So he has no idea of doing anything for another person. The one who is a great talker is one who renders lip service for four reasons. He talks he talks about what he could have done for one. He talks about what he could do in the future. He tries to please with empty promises. And when the occasion actually arises, to render assistance, he expresses his inability to do so. Too busy or it's too late or there's other commitments or doesn't feel good. It's better talking. That's a common one. Better talking. It's here translated as there are empty phrases of goodwill. When something needs to be done in the present, he pleads inability owing to some disaster. It doesn't have to be disaster. I mean, anything will do. So this is a person who's a great talker. It's a lip service person. He should be known as a false friend, pretending to be a true friend by those four characteristics. 
So every one of these four types also has four characteristics. The first one is the, wants to take everything, doesn't give anything, and the second one just says and doesn't do. Now the next one is the flatterer. He approves of the evil actions of his friend. In other words, he accompanies the person when they go to indulge in drink or go down to haunt the street, frequent fairs, or go gambling. He praises the person in his presence, but he speaks ill of him in his absence. In other words, there's no reliability at all. A friend is one who defends, but if that friend then only flatters in the presence just to sound good, there's no sincerity in it, then of course such a friend is more like an enemy than a friend. Then the Buddha says, the friend who seeks what he can get who talks but empty words, who merely flatters you, who is a fellow wastrel. These four are really enemies, not friends. And the wise man, recognizing this, should hold himself aloof from them, as from some path of panic fear. Now this is a very definite statement, which is often questioned. If one sees a person not to be truthful, sincere, reliable. In other words, if there is a person, although saying friendly words, but doing something else, one should stay away from such a person and should have nothing to do with such a person. The non-beneficial actions of this other person arouse dislike in one if it isn't even hate but I certainly dislike and the less one's own mind experiences dislike the purer we keep it so if we can't refrain and it's very difficult to refrain from dislike when there is this kind of action, then we should refrain from such people. Also, not only that, because we become contaminated. We would go along and do the same. Our discriminating abilities are poor. Sometimes we believe things when they are well spoken, even though rationally and logically they don't hold water. And now he starts telling what a true friend is like. And I think this should be of great value to each and every one of us because we need to be true friends. Whether we can find true friends, that's the second question, but we should be a true friend. There are these four types who can be seen to be loyal friends. The friend who is a helper. The one who is the same in happy and unhappy times. The friend who points out what is good for you. 
and the friend who is sympathetic. The one who is sympathetic is one who understands when one talks to such a person. The helpful friend can be seen to be loyal in four ways. He looks after you when you are not paying attention. He looks after your possessions when you're absent. He is a refuge when you're afraid. And when some business is to be done, he lets you have twice what you've asked for. Very generous. He doesn't plead inability, but gives you twice as much as what you want. The friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times is loyal in four ways. He tells you his secrets. He guards your secrets. He does not let you down in misfortune. He would even sacrifice his life for you. Well, that, of course, is asking a, a lot of a friend. And it be very difficult to find a friend like that who would sacrifice his or her life for you. That kind of wholehearted sincerity and friendship is very difficult to find. But one who tells you his secrets and he guards your secrets, that is the only way one can be friends. If one doesn't open up to a person who is supposed to be your friend, then there is no real connection to that person. If there is a fearfulness of showing oneself in a way which is not so admirable, or if there is a fearfulness that the other person may not understand, or if there is the wish to show oneself better than one is, then there is no way one can be friends. To talk about one's secret and making sure that the other person is able to guard them. If we want to be a good friend, we have to do that. And to be a noble friend is one of the most one of the most beneficial ways for one's own practice. Looking for a noble friend means one wants to get something. Being a noble friend means one wants to give something. In order to go on the spiritual path and to have any kind of result from it. One has to forget this wanting to get something, whether it's friendship or whether it's meditation or whatever it may be, one has to think of giving something. And if that doesn't happen, one doesn't get a good friend either if one doesn't give. The friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times 
is loyal in four ways. Oh, sorry, I got that already. The point, friend who points out what is good for you can be seen to be loyal in four ways. He keeps you from wrongdoing. He supports you in doing good. He informs you of what you did not know. And he points out the path to sanctity. Well, this, of course, applies to what is called the Kalyan Namitta, which is the good friend, which is the meditation teacher. It's very difficult to find someone who will point out the path to sanctity otherwise. Point out the path to Nibbana. But other friends can help one to refrain from evil doing by saying this is not right and always supporting anything that one wants to do which is wholesome and beneficial such as going to a meditation course or being generous giving one things away if we have a friend who supports that and does not talk against it he's a good friend informing one of what one does not know in this case it actually means speaking about the Dhamma in ways which one has not seen before it doesn't mean worldly information because there is lots of worldly information of which we are unaware and it doesn't make the slightest bit of difference whether we know it or not this has strictly only one meaning, and that is the seeing the Dhamma clearly and in a new way. Actually, better translated here. He tells him about profound matters which his friend has not heard before. So it's not just information. These are noble conversations, noble friends and noble conversations the um, antidote for all our hindrances and noble conversations are always concerning profound truth which we can understand easily but which we didn't put our mind to before pointing out the path to Nibbana now with that one also has to understand that a friend points out what is good for you is one who will tell you when wrong things are happening in your life. In other words, it's not someone that is flatterer who is always agreeable, but it's a person who has enough understanding to see what's right and what's wrong. The sympathetic friend can be seen to be loyal in four ways. He does not rejoice at your misfortune, but rejoices at your good fortune. He stops others who speak against you, and he commends others who speak in praise of you. Now, not to rejoice at misfortune, but to rejoice at good fortune, is sympathetic joy, the third of the four 
divine abiding of the four Brahma Viharas. The only kind of emotions which the Buddha said are worth having, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Now, at least with our friends, we can learn to have sympathetic joy. Be happy about what is good for them. We then can enlarge upon that so that we can be happy about other people's good fortune. This is the strongest and best antidote for depression. Nobody has good fortune all the time. It's impossible. There is no such thing. The Buddha said, the noble truth of Buddha. But somebody's having good fortune somewhere, sometimes. And if we can recognize the totality of the existence of creation and be joyful about other people's good fortune instead of envious, then depression does not take a hold of us. Or even the minor kind, which is being sorry for oneself, that also doesn't take hold of one. So sympathetic joy is that remedy which can be applied if we feel we need a remedy. To rejoice at other people's misfortune is not uncommon because we then can see that our own misfortune which we are lamenting about isn't quite as bad makes us feel better. Other people's misfortune, especially the stuff that one sees on television, because it's so impersonal. That's why it's so popular. It's dukkha all the way, so we can forget about our own dukkha. But rejoicing at other people's misfortune is, of course, a feeling of separation, a feeling of person, personal living and being, which is based on our illusion and delusion, which brings about all our difficulties, every single one of them. So, if we see misfortune as misfortune, not belonging to one person, and if we see good fortune as good fortune and not belonging to one person, then we see it properly. There is both in the world, and both is happening. If we have a friend, he will stop others from speaking against one. And be happy when somebody speaks in praise of that of you. The, the friend is a person who has a heart connection. The more of that heart connection we can actually bring about in ourselves, the happier we are and the more friends we will have. It's not that they are going to like us. It's that we are going to like them. Nobody 
will be our friend because we don't have that feeling of friendliness towards them. So if you want to have friends, you've got to be a friend. It's as simple as that. It's so simple, one wonders, why isn't everybody living accordingly? It's our ego delusion which stops us. Here the Buddha gives exact guidelines how to be a good friend. He doesn't just mean that we can recognize the false friend, although that too arises. But if we ourselves know how to be a good friend, we will recognize a false friend immediately because we wouldn't do what that person is doing. We can recognize it immediately. But if we do the same thing, of course, then it's a little more difficult because then we have already been untruthful about our own friendship so we don't recognize the other person either. The friend who is the helper and the friend in times both good and bad, the friend who shows the way that's right, the friend who's full of sympathy, these four kinds are wise. One should know their true worth and should cherish them with care, just like a mother with her dearest child. One who helps, same in good and bad times, shows one the right way, does not agree with wrong ideas. And one who is sympathetic has an understanding and rejoices with one about the good things. The wise person trained and disciplined shines like a beacon far, gathers wealth just as the bee gathers honey, and it grows like an anthill higher yet. With wealth so gained, the layman can, devoted to his people's good. The Buddha says here something which is quite interesting, and it is very true, but we never connect it. That a person who is such a friend and is trained and disciplined will gather wealth just like a bee gathers honey and the wealth grows like an anthill you know, like these huge anthills they have in Australia termites why is that so? why does a person who has this friendship and lovingness at heart also gain material wealth it's a law of nature that who gives, gets. It doesn't work any other way. And yet, most people think quite definitely that in order to have, they've got to keep. It's a totally wrong way of thinking. And anyone who's tried it knows it can't work. Such a person is not only stingy and over-frugal, worried about the money or the possessions, locks them up tightly, 
but also because trying to keep it doesn't grow because it's uh, one tries to keep it steady it, nothing is steady nothing is unchanging and puts limitations on oneself and as one puts limitations on oneself barriers in one's love in one's friendship in one's training in one's discipline one puts barriers on everything connected with one and one is the person then which is has a contracted mind the person where the whole lifestyle is contracted can't do this can't do that cost too much money might cost too much energy might cost too much love might cost too much friendship might cost too much time it's the very extreme marketplace mentality to always figure the cost if one doesn't do that but has a feeling of connectedness and togetherness and gives out and lets it flow it flows in both directions out and in why shouldn't it? why should it only flow in one direction? it has to flow in both because it's open all the barriers have been removed totally open obviously that's what the Buddha had in mind a disciplined person naturally will not squander a disciplined person will not spend in unwise ways because there's a self-discipline there but it's not that contraction of making oneself like a safe deposit box that's locked nothing gets in nothing gets out but if you open it all up whatever comes out the same amount or more comes in and now the Buddha says exactly what to do with one's money when one is a lay person it doesn't apply to monks and nuns but it applies to lay person well first of all one should devote it to the people's good now he should divide his wealth into four this will bring most advantage to him one part he may enjoy for himself two parts he should put to work the fourth part he should set aside as a reserve in times of need now the two parts he should put to work I don't know the two parts he should put to work are parts that should be given in generosity to supporting a spiritual practice and also to use when there is need for repairs and um, looking after his own business that's why there are two parts there it's, it's explained in the uh, commentary but this thing doesn't have one and this thing doesn't have one either so um, one needs to have one part of one's wealth to live on obviously I should enjoy that and as he has a enjoy and live on that he has another part which he has to use for a rainy day another part 
he needs to use for his own repairs and business activities and one part to give away. If one does that, one should also know what it means to enjoy and has to have the right kind of understanding, obviously, to stay away from the things which the Buddha has already mentioned in this discourse, that they are um, not beneficial, drinking, gambling, sleeping late, and um, running after women. The language in all the suttas, and even in the newest translation, is still, unfortunately, all male-directed. It's all he. But to make up for that, it also says not to run after women. It doesn't say a word about not to run after men. So it makes up for that. At the, at the time these suttas were spoken, it would always have been the um, common way to use the the male objective. Now, the Buddha speaks about these six directions. That was what Sigala was doing when the Buddha met up with him. He was worshipping the six directions. And now the Buddha comes to that point where he tells him what he should actually do in order to worship them properly. And how householder's son does a noble disciple protect the six directions? These six things are to be regarded as the six directions. Now he tells them it's not just east, west, north, south, and um, up and down, but these are actually to be considered as certain people in one's life. The east denotes mother and father, Why? Because the, in the East, the sun arises and we arise from mother and father. The South denotes the teachers. The teachers who are teaching one spiritual uh, discipline. And being in the South, it is like an... Um, pleasant climate that one gets in the south. It is um, not harsh um, difficulties, but the spiritual discipline is, in a, is, a, is the best climate for the mind. The west denotes wife and children, and the north denotes friends and companions. Now, friends and companions in the north is the sort of like a, a further away. It's like an idea that when one travels to the north, one searches for something like adventures. And the wives and children in the West, it's mentioned as a, a pun in, in Pali, which doesn't apply in, um, in um in English, of course, the, uh, the pun is that the right hand is the, the west, so wife and children are the right hand of, of the person. The zenith denotes 
one spiritual teacher, priests and monks. And the Nadia denotes servants, workers and helpers. And one's reverence and devotion should be given to all of those, but not just to the directions, but to all these people. In other words, one should keep all these people in mind. And now the Buddha explains how one should have this gratitude and devotion to all these people. There are five ways in which a son could minister to his mother and father in the eastern direction. Having, he should think, having been supported by them, I will support them. I will perform their duties for them. I will keep up the family tradition. I will be worthy of them. After my parents' death, I will distribute gifts on their behalf. These are a very common way in India, or also in other Asian countries, that when a um, person dies, that one gives gifts to uh, monks, nuns, and temples on their behalf in order to make good karma for them. Whether that works or not, I wouldn't know. There are five ways in which the parents, so regarded by their children, will reciprocate. They will restrain their children from evil, support them in doing good, teach them skills, hand over the inheritance. In this way, the eastern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. In other words, what the Buddha is talking about is having a good family relationship, which works both ways. Again, it's impossible to just want to get. Now, when children are very small, of course, they have to get because they can't look after themselves. But this is what we give then. We give our gratitude for having been looked after when we were very small. If that hadn't been the case, we wouldn't have been able to continue our lives. There are five ways in which pupils should minister to their teachers in the southern direction, or as a southern direction, by rising to greet them politely, by waiting on them, by being attentive, by serving them, and by mastering the skills they teach. So you see, you all have to learn your meditation very well. You have to master the skill that you're being taught. There are five ways in which the teacher thus ministered to by the pupil in the southern direction will reciprocate. They will give thorough instruction. Make sure the pupils have grasped what they should have grasped. Give them a thorough grounding in the skill. Recommend them to their friends and colleagues and provide them with support in their endeavors. In this way, the southern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. This is a very typical way the Buddha would teach, that if you would see that somebody was using a more or less superstitious way of dealing with uh, reverence and uh, devotion, 
he would use that same reverence and devotion and show how to use it without any superstition, obviously, to worship the fixed directions uh, of the compass isn't very skillful, but using the fixed directions as different people and making sure that one understands one's relationship to them and their relationship to one, that will be extremely helpful. Peace and free from fear. A very important aspect to be at peace and free from fear. Fear is a human condition. Krishnamurti wrote that in one of his books. And it is. And it is always based in its foundation on the fear of annihilation. But then we make out all sorts of other fears out of it. The fear of being found out. As we have done things we don't want to be found out about. And the fear of not measuring up to our peers. The fear of not having our ego is supported. The fear of not being able to feel friendly towards others. All sorts of fears. Fear of the dark, fear of snakes. Fear of uh, traveling in airplanes. All one and the same thing. Fear of annihilation. That's all what it's based on. And it can only remain with us, this fear, not only, it will remain with us, this fear, until we have finally come to the point where we find out without a shadow of a doubt that there's nobody here to annihilate. And only then will we stop to be fearful. Until then, fears are part and parcel of the human makeup. Here, the Buddha gives a midway or a, on, on the pathway a possibility to feel peaceful when there is a relationship to a spiritual teacher which is recognized from both sides. And it has to be recognized from both sides. If it's a one-way street, nothing happens. Ah, this is very interesting now. Now I'm talking about husband and wife. There are five ways in which a husband should minister to his wife in the Western direction. By honoring her, by not discouraging her, by not being unfaithful, by giving authority, by providing her with all her needs. Five ways in which a wife thus ministered to by a husband in the Western direction will reciprocate. By properly organizing her work, being kind to the servants, <laughs> <What's servant? laughs> by not being unfaithful, by protecting the wealth, by being skillful and diligent in all she has to do. In this way, the Western direction is covered. Cooperation doesn't have to be between husband and wife, between anyone who's got anything to do with another person. Working together, Total support system. This is what's meant here, support system. And not being unfaithful, 
When we hear the word unfaithful, we always think of sexuality. But aren't there other ways of being unfaithful? We can very easily be unfaithful to our friends by dropping them and getting another. Very simple. We can be unfaithful to our parents by not having any regard for them. We can be unfaithful to our teachers by having no regard for them and just taking whatever is there and giving nothing in return. We can... Unfaithfulness is not necessarily sexuality, misdirected sexuality. It's not that at all. We always think of it that way and it's always used that way because it's used in connection with man and woman. But that's not all there is to it. And what is being talked about here applies to all our systems of living and working together. If we can't support the person that we live with or work with totally by trying our very best in that moment, then there's always going to be some sort of disharmony. And disharmony is the hardest thing to live with. The disharmony that every person carries in their own heart is of course then translated into this outer disharmony. But if two people or three or four have a, a system of cooperation with each other, then there's already a peaceful environment created, which helps one to get rid of some of the inner disharmony. And again, not always wanting to get, always wanting to give the only way it will ever work. If one always wants to get, the other will give, it won't work. But if both want to give, yes, it will work. So then, in this way, the Western direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. And see, again, the Buddha is talking about being at peace and free from fear. There are five ways in which a man should minister to his friends and companions at the northern direction by gifts by kindly words by looking after their welfare by treating them like himself by keeping his word keeping one's word people very often don't even know what they've said mindfulness to know what one has said and then And since the Buddha compared us all with children, we've got to abide by that, to keep one's word. One can promise children the moon, but then one has to give it to them. So it's better not to promise it, because we don't have it available. It's the same in all our dealings with each other. Most people don't even think about it, never mind pay attention. This paying attention is mindfulness in thought, speech, and action. And that mindfulness becomes a habit after a while. And keeping one's word, treating one another like oneself, well, that 
presupposes that we treat ourselves well. Do we? Or do we indulge ourselves? That's not treating ourselves well. Do we love ourselves? Do we have compassion for ourselves? Do we know what is best for us and actually do that? Or do we do what's easiest, what requires the least effort? Or that which brings some pleasant feelings? What is our criteria for treating ourselves? That needs to be checked out. It's exactly the same sentence. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Same sentence, huh? Or, love thy neighbor as thyself. Doesn't matter which religion one looks at. It's all one and the same. If it's really understood, if one goes to the very end of it, it's one and the same. But even on the way there, Treating others like oneself. Gifts, kindly words, looking after others' welfare, which means, friends and companions, which means that one is interested in them at least as much as in oneself, and that the welfare of others is one's true concern, not just when it happens to be practical or a proper moment when one has nothing else to do. But really a true concern, the welfare of others. But for that, we also have to know what is the welfare of others. What is the greatest welfare? What is our own greatest welfare? Having everything we want? getting whatever it is that we're looking for, getting only praise, doing whatever we please, what is our greatest welfare? Or getting a disciplined mind and a disciplined heart, which can love and which can know. The heart that loves, the mind that knows. What is welfare? All these things are not to be taken as written or said. Self-inquiry. That's what a retreat is for. We retreat from the world which is constantly impinging upon our uh, awareness and we use the awareness. We don't let it die or, or <coughs> go to sleep. We use it for self-inquiry. There are five ways in which friends and companions thus ministered to as a northern direction will reciprocate by looking after the friend when he's inattentive, when he's not paying attention. I wonder what does it say. Now he's inattentive. It says when he's, when he's uh, drinking. By being a refuge when he's afraid by not deserting him when he's in trouble and by showing concern for his family. We're looking after another person. In this way, the northern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. Actually, <coughs> to have a good friend, 
or, or more than one would think, is a rarity. And if one has one, one should keep that person. Such a person who can do these things that are mentioned here, looking after one's property, helping one when one is afraid, not deserting one when one is in trouble, a person that one can honestly say to, I'm having uh, problems, I need help, and showing concern for the other's family. In this way, the northern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. But again, I'd like to stress and emphasize, if one wants a friend like that, one has to be a friend like that. There are five ways in which one could minister to servants, employees, workpeople, by arranging their work according to their abilities, by supplying them with decent food and good wages, by looking after them when they're ill, by sharing special things with them, and by letting them off work at the right time. Well, for that we have the union these days. In the Buddha's time there weren't any. A person had to do this um, from their own understanding and their decency. There are five ways in which servants, um, employees and workers will reciprocate they will get up early, go to bed after the employer, take only what they are given, do their work properly, and earn the praise of the employer, and look after his good reputation. In other words, what we have again, we have cooperation. We have people working together without trying to exploit. Obviously, there's a lot of exploitation always going on out of this um, ignorant greed for one's own so-thought welfare. Our own welfare is totally caught up in the welfare of everyone. If we want to feel good and have a sense of well-being, we cannot do so amongst people who do not have that. There has to be a sense of well-being permeating the whole situation in which we find ourselves. There are employers to this day who create such an unpleasant situation in their workplace that there's nothing but strife, utter foolishness. But there are also those who are employed and create that. So it's always up to oneself. And if one finds oneself in a situation where there is strife and tension, the only thing one can do, that we can do, is to try to minimize it through our own work, in our own heart and mind. There are five ways in which one can minister to the priests, to the monks and nuns, to the spiritual teachers, by kindness in bodily deeds, by, kind, by kindness in bodily deeds, speech and thought, by keeping open house for them, 
by supplying their needs. And they will reciprocate. They will restrain a person from evil, encourage him to do good, be compassionate for him, teach the person what he has not yet heard, profound teaching, and point out to him the way to Nibbana. The way to the Zenith, of course, but that's the highest. In this way, the Zenith is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. And there's um, a little more in this uh, particular discourse, so I think I'll finish that. Actually, here this um, the way a person should minister to the monks, to the priests, and to the monks and nuns is here. Um, in this one, translated as loving-kindness for them in thought, speech, and deed. And then the Buddha said, Mother, father are the east, teachers are the southward point, wife and children are the west, friends and colleagues are the north. Servants and employees are below, Brahmin's priests are above. These directions all should be honored by a person true, he who is wise and disciplined, kind and intelligent, humble, free from pride. Now we should have a look at these adjectives that we should actually foster in ourselves. This is not just words. This is supposed to tell us what we need to do. Wisdom Wisdom is the understood experience. It starts out with information. That's all you can get is information. It becomes knowledge when you remember it. And it becomes wisdom when you have the experience of it and understand it. In other words, have practiced it. First thing, information. That's all that's available. The next thing is knowledge, remembering. The third thing is practicing and thereby having the understood experience. Information is easy to come by. Volumes of it. It only becomes knowledge when you yourself know it. And have to remember it. Memory is part of mindfulness. Practice it. Mindfulness is not just a word. Mindfulness is a spiritual practice in everyday life. If we believe it, that materiality is not sufficient, the next step is mindfulness. Only then spirituality can arise. But not just mindfulness once in a while, but mindfulness all the time when getting up, when sitting down, when washing dishes, when putting the plates down, when putting the forks down, knowing doing this, knowing doing that. <coughs> when knowing a feeling, when knowing mental emotional states, when knowing the mind content. Knowing oneself, being with oneself, getting into a relationship with oneself which is satisfactory, enjoyable, and pure. 
Mindfulness is the way to purity. The one way for the purification of being. So we have wise discipline. Well, discipline is something that is without that life doesn't work. Spiritual practice surely doesn't work. Discipline also means making effort. It means not going after that which is the easiest, but going after that which will be the most beneficial. Kind and intelligent. It's very interesting that the Buddha mentions intelligent not only here, but also in the Karaniya Metta Sutta, which is the Discourse on Loving Kindness, as one of the 15 conditions which are necessary in order to arouse, cultivate and develop loving kindness in oneself. We always think that intelligence is something we're born with. It's not at all. We have the, we certainly have the seed of it. It's something that we develop. It needs the self-discipline to be developed. It's the mind quality which we develop over the years by learning and understanding the connections of that what we have learned very difficult to even get near the profundity of the Buddha's teaching, teaching without intelligence. Kindly, loving kindness, uh, uh, cultivate loving kindness. Humble, free from pride. Humble is not a, not a quality that we think much of, is it? We have the mistaken understanding that it is an inferiority complex, not at all. Somebody with an inferiority complex isn't humble. Somebody with an inferiority complex, complex blames him or herself and berates him or herself for all the bad things one has done. Has no self-confidence at all. But humble is the op- opposite of being proud. A person who is proud is a person that the Buddha compares to um, um, a clay vessel which is full to the top with water, which is already getting stale, but because a proud person won't dump out the water, can't accept any teaching, can't put any new water in. So the old water stays in. Views and opinions. The Buddha says that views and opinions are our worst enemies next to well, no, contained in our self-delusion, because that's our view and opinion. So the, the proud person is full of views and opinions and retains them. No teaching possible. The Buddha had um, a Brahmin once. Now the Brahmins were quite... Um, at loggerheads with the Buddha because he uh, of course was um, a source of um, reduction of their income because they were making their living by getting money from people that were worshipping stone gods and the Buddha kept saying well that's not the way to get to any freedom or any salvation. So most many Brahmins didn't like him at all. 
many were became his followers, and there was one particular one whose um, nickname was Pride Stiff. He was stiff with pride. He would never prostrate in front of anyone, not even his own teachers. And uh, his whole bearing was stiff. So one day this Brahmin came to listen to the Buddha and everybody was very surprised that he even came to listen. And as the Buddha was finished speaking, he went up in front of the whole assembly and prostrated. And the whole assembly went, was so surprised, the whole, the, all went, oh, what is this? And then this Brahmin pride said to the Buddha, I'd like to be your disciple, but can I make an agreement with you? Buddha said, yes, what is it? He said, well, if I meet you in the street somewhere, instead of uh, prostrating, if I lift my hat three times, would you accept that as instead of a prostration? Because I've got to keep up my reputation, you know. And the Buddha said, yes, certainly I'll accept that. <laughs> so he retained his name Pride Stiff until the end of his days but he was a follower of the Buddha then and uh, learned the Buddha's teaching so the word Pride Stiff in Pali um, denotes what pride will do for one it makes one stiff and if one is stiff one has of course again, again a barrier the stiffness of the barrier makes it then impossible to get in anything new. One sticks to that what one knows already and without the newness coming in, the profundity of the teaching, of course, doesn't have any room to find itself in one's own heart and mind. So pride is a, uh, considered to be the worst um, quality for one who wants to learn the spiritual path in its completeness. Now, if one is free from pride, such a one may honor gain, early rising, no sloth, unshaken by adversity. Now, unshaken by adversity is equanimity, no matter what happens. It just happens. And if it isn't pleasant, if it is Dukkha, can't we remember the first and second noble truth? Is it so difficult to remember that? The first noble truth says, it is the noble truth of Dukkha in all existence. There is Dukkha. And the second noble truth says, there's only one cause for Dukkha. And that's craving. So if we have some sort of book, or whatever it may be, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, and we stop resisting it, we just see it for what it is, it just isn't coming out the way we wanted it. So, it's all right. There's no dukkha. It's the resistance that makes it dukkha. 
if we accept the way it is, nothing hurts. We can try it out if you've got a pain in the knee or in the back. It works. Maybe only a few minutes, but it certainly works. Hmm? Of falseless conduct, conducting oneself within the five, noble, uh, five uh, precepts. The next one is interesting. Ready wit. An intelligent person has ready wit. If, if the mind connects and it sees the humor in the whole of existence and the wit that the, the mind has helps over all difficulties. So the Buddha mentions that. He himself, by the way, was known for that. He was known for his ready wit that he could make something out of any situation. Such a one may honor gain, making friends and keeping them. Keeping one's friends. Welcoming, no stinginess. A guide, philosopher and friend, such a one may honor gain. So, that to be the noble friend. But one has to train oneself to become a noble friend. It doesn't just happen. It's a training. A training in the mind's intelligence, in the mind's remembrance of that which is worth remembering, and a training and cultivating of the heart, of friendship and lovingness and trustworthiness and reliability. If one meditates and doesn't develop any of these qualities, it would be better to do Tai Chi. Giving gifts and kindly speech. So giving generosity huh? and kindly speech, a life well spent for others' good. I think that's already belabored enough, huh? Living one's life for others. Well spent for others' good. Everybody's got something to give. The whole world is in the process of taking. What happens? The first thing that happens is dissatisfaction. Because we can't get always what we want. It's impossible. And the second thing that happens is strife, tension, and argument, and the third thing is war. But when one gives, none of that happens. A life well spent for others' good, good, even-handed in all things. I think even-minded in all things. Impartial as each case demands. Now, impartiality... is an, an important aspect, but one which is, uh, takes time to develop. Impartiality means that one treats everybody alike. And not easy. Because some people, of course, one feels more drawn to than others. Treating everybody alike doesn't mean one talks to everybody alike. I mean, some people one needs to talk to this way and another person needs something else to know. But impartiality is that one has the same kind of heart connection to everybody. And the Buddha compares that even to 
loving everybody in the same way as one loves one's own children. Now, if one hasn't got any children, maybe one can imagine what it's like, or maybe one's had a mother that loves one. If one should actually love everybody the way one loves one's own children, or has been loved by one's own mother, one's got a lifetime's work cut out for one. But at least to make an attempt, to try a little, but just trying a little, it would make already a lot of difference, trying a little. The non-love aspect in people's hearts is that which makes the whole of this existence miserable. Not only for the person, him or herself, but for everyone who comes in contact with them. Then the non-loving of the heart because the non-loving of the heart is not equanimity. It's either cold indifference or it's already going towards hate. The hatefulness and the dislike in the heart is that which makes life difficult. In a retreat situation, we've got time to find out about our own heart. impartial, that kind of feeling towards all alike. Huh? These things make the world go round. Interesting, huh? Like the chariot's axle pin. The pin on which the axle rests. If such things did not exist, no mother would get from her son any honor and respect. In other words, if any of these things would not exist, there would be nothing good left in the world. There is good left in the world. But the more we each one develop this good in ourselves, the more exists in the world. We're developing it in order to find our own peace and our own freedom. But the world benefits. Nor father either as their due. In other words, honor and respect is due to parents. But since these qualities are held by the wise in high esteem, they are given prominence and are rightly praised by all. So these are qualities that are praised. Huh? At these words, Sigala said to the Buddha, Oh, excellent, revered Gautama, excellent. Now, now comes a uh, sentence or a little paragraph which is a traditional, always repeated in paragraph. And it comes in not all, but many, many of the discourses. It is as if someone were to set up what had been knocked down or to point out the way to one who had got lost or to bring an oil lamp into a dark place so that those with eyes could see what was there. Just so, the Reverend Gautama has expounded the Dhamma in various ways. May the Reverend Gautama accept me as a lay follower from this day forth as long as life shall last. This is a very uh, traditional way of saying things, and since it is so often repeated, uh, one cannot assume that each one of these persons actually 
said it exactly alike, but in the uh, recitation of the discourses, this has then been equalized so that it always comes out the same way. What has happened here is that the father of Sigala got what he aimed for. He would not want his son to become a follower of the Buddha, and this is exactly what happened, because he was hoping that when he saw the boy doing these prostrations in all directions, he'd give him a Dhamma talk. The uh, Dhamma talk is the one discourse, one could say, in the whole of the discourse collection, which gives the most exact information about the ways and means of cultivating a peaceful life within oneself and for one's associates. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Now think of yourself as your own best friend. Trustworthy and reliable. Even-minded. At all times. Loving, helpful, caring and concerned. Fill yourself with the sincerity and depth of true friendship. Surround and embrace yourself with it. Getting a sense of well-being. Think of yourself as the best friend of the person sitting nearest you in this room. Helpful and caring. Loving and reliable. Having that person's well-being at heart. Fill him or her the depth of your friendship. Surround him or her with it. 
living togetherness. Think of yourself as the best friend of everyone here. Embrace everyone with your friendship. Fill everyone with your care and concern like a best friend would. Feel the connectedness. Think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. Helpful, concerned, trustworthy and reliable. Embrace them with your friendship. And fill them the depth and sincerity of your feelings for them. Now think of yourself as the best friend of those who are near and dear to you. A friendship which is caring and concerned, helpful.
always ready. Always giving. Fill them with your friendship. Embrace them with it. Not expecting the same in return. think of all your good friends and feel yourself as their best friend ready to help loving and concerned fill and embrace them with sincere friendship not expecting the same in return only giving Now think of your neighbors, colleagues at work, people you have any association with. Be their best friend. ready to help, caring and concerned. Rejoicing at their good fortune, filling and embracing them with the depth and sincerity of your friendship, feeling the togetherness, the connectedness,
think of anyone in your life with whom you're not good friends. Be a best friend to that person too. Loving, caring, helping. imagine that you're stretching out your arms and your heart, infinitely wide, embracing innumerable paper, making them all your friends, being their best friends. giving them care and concern that a best friend would, reaching out ever further with your heart and your arms to touch ever more people with your friendship. Feeling together, feeling connected. 